So if you guys have a Bible around you, open up to Luke 11 is where we're going to be. Luke 11. Um, and I just have just a couple quick announcements before we get started. Um, this month, October, is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Um, now, again, I, I talked a couple weeks ago, I love church and church history. I know some of you guys might not be familiar with Reformation, what that even means. Um, so I just want to throw before you guys, it's a podcast, or you can subscribe to it, and it'll send you emails um, called Here We Stand uh, by Desiring God. And what they're doing is they're going through and, and highlighting some of the reformers before the Reformation 500 years ago. Um, some of these guys that were killed because of the gospel, um, trying to fight for what we have the privilege of doing today. Um, so just a quick reference for that. Go check it out. Go download it. Um, I've got the podcast. It just sends you every day. It's only like seven, eight minutes. So it's not a whole lot of time, but it just, it's been helping me to understand a little bit of church history and, and what guys went through so that we can gather and preach the Bible here today. Other than that, uh, if you were here last week, we were in the women's club, the community house, because there's a beauty pageant going on here, and that would have just been weird. So um, two weeks ago, we voted in our elders. We commissioned our elders. Um, so we had our first official elders meeting last week, um, and it was very great for me because there's been a couple things that I've been um, praying about and considering a lot that I got to say, hey, now you guys help me. So there's three really big things that I brought up at the elders meeting. Um, two of, one of them has been resolved, one of them will be resolved here in a minute, um, and another we're still praying for in the future. Uh, but here's what I mean when I say resolved for this morning. Um, we've had a dream, and just in my own mind, I've designed um, the org chart and how I think the church best would structure, and then we've just been praying towards that. Um, and, and this morning, what we're going to see is uh, we have all the leadership in place that I feel like we, the church needs right now. Um, so there's been one position that I've been praying for that I've been kind of overseeing both, and, um, and so this morning I get to announce that we have uh, hired uh, he doesn't get any money because we're a church plant, but hired uh, another guy. So Carlton and Allison, why don't you guys come on up. Um, Carlton will be our missional community pastor. Um, so now we've got um, Ricky who oversees all family. We've got Kyle that oversees all community stuff. And now Carlton and Allison, which will oversee missional communities. Um, so I am fired up about this. I've known Carlton for a long time. We work really well together. Uh, and so I'm just, I'm going to let him kind of explain a little bit about who he is and his family um, but what I, the big picture I just want to paint for us um, is that God has brought us some incredible leaders to lead this thing here and, and wherever we decide to go next. Um, so I'm just grateful to God for him bringing Carlton and Allison here and, and all that entails. So um, do you kind of want to share a little bit? Yeah. Um, my name's Carlton. Uh, hi. Hi, Carlton. It's <laughs> like an AA meeting. Hi, I'm Carlton. Uh, this is my wife, Allison. We've been married uh, almost 19 years. And uh, we have three boys, Elliot, uh, who's 13, he's in eighth grade, AJ, who is 12, and he's in sixth grade, and then Tozer, who some of you probably know because he runs around a lot, who is uh, younger, he's in fourth grade, and he's nine. Um, I've been in ministry for 25 years, I was a youth pastor for 20, uh, and have been from Wilmington, North Carolina, to South Georgia, to North Georgia. Um, the past five years, we planted a church in Cleveland, Georgia, called Oikos, not the yogurt. Um, Man, this is a dead crowd, bro. Uh, they laugh, you just can't hear them. That's it's okay, no far. problem. Um, and so uh, during, that pro during that process of planting, uh, we saw God move some incredible ways. Our focus was missional community. It's not like this is foreign to me. We did it for five years. Um, and then when Oikos had to shut down, uh, we were in a Bell Bonds place. 
Um, so it was o Oikos Church and Gold City Bell Bonds, whatever bondage, we got you covered. And uh, when that shut down, thank you, I appreciate that, God bless your ministry. Uh, when that shut down, uh, we were in a period of time where we did some interim work, but we were really praying about a church to find to connect with. We came to the branch immediately because of Gabe and I's relationship. It just fits our family. It fits my ministry preference. And then Gabe and I started dreaming and started talking about what could possibly be. And uh, this is the beauty of that. Uh, we're, we're jumping in. I mean, we jumped in when we first came, but uh, we're jumping in full force and full bore. Uh, and then uh, we're really excited about what God has in store for the focus of missional community, for the focus of the DNA groups. Uh, to move those, continuing moving those forward. Nothing's going to, don't freak out if you're a DNA group or if you're a missional community leader, nothing's going to f go crazy on you because uh, I'm in with what we're doing already, but we'll just focus those things. And I look forward to working with the elders, working with the staff, and just being a part of what God's doing through the branch. So thank you guys for letting us be a part of that. Appreciate that. Thanks, man. Love you. All right, so Luke 11 is where we're going to be. Uh, so growing up for me, and, and I'll, I don't know if we're the same way, and I still kind of do this, um, I was kind of a committophobe. Anyone else? Committophobe? Just me? So here's how it would flesh itself out. People would say, hey, man, uh, I've got this going on this night. You want to come? Uh, and, and as I'm saying this, this has probably happened to some of you in this room, and I apologize. Um, yeah, man, that sounds great. Thank you so much for putting that together. Thanks for planning that. I can't, I can't wait. Uh, and then the night would come around, or the event would come around, and I just wouldn't show up and, and didn't really realize till I had a friend call me out on it, like, hey, man, you know you're a jerk when you do that. Like, you, you tell us you're excited about it, but you don't actually show up. And so that kind of wrestled, I wrestled with that for a little while, trying to figure out what, what is it in me? Uh, is, is it a, like a FOMO, a fear of missing out, that if I fully commit to this one thing, if something else comes up, then I'm not going to be able to be a part of both? Um, is it just like I'm a people pleaser that I don't want to say yes, even though I think it's a really dumb idea? So I just like, but I don't want to be mean and say, oh, like, why would you do that? That's stupid. Uh, so I just say, man, that's awesome. That's great. Never into having any intention of going. I just don't want to be awkward and say no. So just trying to figure out what was it in me and still what is it in me that when people invite me to things or when I know something's going on, I halfway commit to a lot of things, but I don't really fully plug into anything. And what we're going to see this morning in Scripture is that a lot of us do that with the gospel, that we are committed in word, but in action and deed, we're, we're not really there. And so what we're trying to figure out in this text, Luke eleven fourteen through 23, is, is what's going on in our soul, what's going on in our hearts that, that leads us to that. We say, yes, like, I'm here. Like, I'm, I'm here in this gym. Isn't this, isn't this what you want? Uh, is it? Is it what we want? Is the gospel all just centraled around coming to one service or, or saying this? Are we actually committed to the gospel? And here's, here's the tension. We live in the Bible Belt, Right? Everyone lives in, the, we, like we're here, so to say you're a Christian here is just synonymous to a good person. It's what you're supposed to say. It's what you're supposed to do. So a lot of us have walked this idea of I'm a Christian, I'm a good person, I'm, I'm committed, but what I think we're going to see this morning is, is maybe that's just not true for all of us. Maybe that's not the actual truth. And, and as I was preparing for the sermon, uh, which honestly is probably one of the hardest of sermons I've prepared for in a while, uh, because I know you guys. 
Like, I know your hearts, I know some of your stories, and so when I get invited to come speak at places, it's just a one or two day thing, I can literally say whatever I want, explode a bomb in this place, and then just walk away. Drive home, don't have to think about it, let their pastors and their staff clean up the bomb that I just threw in. Frag out, right? Like, that's just what I do. But here, I stole that from Dylan, thanks for that, Dylan. Uh, But here... What I'm worried about is when I drop this truth bomb, well, not me, when Jesus drops this truth bomb on us this morning, there might be some things that we have to clean up. It it might get a little messy in our hearts this morning. We might see that how we've acted and how we've pretended and how we've lived for the past 20, 30, 40, 60 years um, might not be up to the standards of the gospel. It's a harsh truth, and so like last night, the sermon was written, but I stayed up for hours, chugging five-hour energy and coffee, just trying to like, God, is this really what you want me to say? Is this really what it is? And then um, if you know anything, I'm not an early riser, but I got up this morning to study the words. Is this really what this text means? Like, do you really want me to say this to this group of people? And he does. Have you guys ever heard of the harsh rule effect? Ever heard of that? So this basically what it means is you can make fun of me or you can tell me something really mean about myself. That way I can be really honest with you, okay? So you tell me, hey, pastor, you have really big ears. Man, that hurts a little bit. All right, let's turn to you. We good? Luke 11, 14 through 23. Luke 11, 14 through 23. And if you, as you're kind of flipping, uh, we're going to be over in Romans 8 in a little bit, so just be ready to go there. Luke eleven fourteen through 23. Now he, being Jesus, was casting out a demon that was mute. Um, so this story, I'm going to read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit, talk a little bit, see if we can keep up. Um, this story was, is told in all the synoptic, synoptic gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the story is included. Um, the other two, Matthew and Mark, also include another detail that he was um, not only mute, but he was also like, blind. So can't speak, can't see. Here's this miracle that's taking place, which is huge. And when the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke. And the people marveled, but some of them said, he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Now, let me just kind of stop here because this is, uh, there's two groups of people here that we're going to try to relate with here soon. Uh, There's the people that marveled. There's the people that just watched what Jesus did and their jaw was literally on the floor. Just mouth open, mouth breathing, trying to figure out what just happened. But then the other camp was the yeah butters that saw what took place would go, yeah, but, like, yeah, sure, I, but there's, there's got to be more here. There's got to be something going on. So what they refer him to is basically Satan. Beelzebul is how, I mean, there's a lot of history here, came from Baal in the Old Testament, but what they're saying is you're doing this because of demons. You are Satan yourself. That's how you're casting out different demons. So remember the two camps that are around Jesus. There's the ones that marvel in the yeah butters, and they're both close to him. They're both watching what's taking place. They're both following him. Both simultaneously in this room, there's those that marvel, and there's the yeah butters. Verse 15, but some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But, this should haunt you, 
but he knows their thoughts. So they're not saying this stuff out loud. They're just thinking it. They're just processing it. He knows their thoughts. So he's not fooled by their actions. He's not fooled by their clothes, by their attendance, by what they say. He knows their thoughts. Church, he knows our thoughts. He knows our motives. He knows why we do what we do. He knows why you're here. He knows. Verse 17, but he knows their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom is divided itself and is laid to waste. A divided household falls. So what Jesus is about to do in a really poetic, uh, kind, graceful thing is to give them logics to why he cannot be Satan. So he's not just going to say, you're fools, get out of here. If you don't believe me, go. He said, no, 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 I'll I'll, I'll play with this. I hear your thoughts. I understand what you're saying. Um, Let me tell you a little bit. If, if, If I really am Satan then why am I casting out demons? That a kingdom cannot stand where the house will fall. So basically the image is, um, if you have like basically a hotel, if you ruin the foundation, the whole hotel is going to come down, right? So he's saying, listen, this, this can't make sense because a divided household falls. Why would Satan, if I am Satan, if you're accusing me of that, why would I be casting out demons? It'd almost be like me going, hey, Auburn, um, come clean your room. So I'm standing inside of her room. My daughter comes in to clean your room. And I say, okay, leave. And she goes back into the den. Auburn, come clean your room now. She walks in. Okay, leave. How long do you think that's going to go on? So this, Jesus said, no, there's no way I can be Satan in casting out demons in the same way. Verse 18. And if Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you, I say, for you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Logical point two, that I'm a Jew, your sons are Jewish. If we're both casting out demons, then doesn't that self-incriminate your sons? Aren't you then saying that your sons, that your friends that have this ability by the Spirit to cast out demons are also sons of Satan? Your your logic just doesn't make sense. Verse 19, excuse me. Verse 20, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. But if it's actually by the finger of God that I am here, casting, then you have to understand the kingdom of God is here. Verse 21, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, the goods are safe. But one who is stronger than attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he is trusted and divides his spoil. So the, the original strong man in Jesus' illustration is Satan. For if a strong man guards his house, but someone who's stronger, if Jesus comes, he's going to overtake him. So who do you really stand for? Are you really fighting for um, Satan or are you really fighting for me? And here's where everything comes together, verse 23. Whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Whoever is not with me is against me. So let me pray real fast and then we're just going to spend the next 20 minutes on that one phrase. So let's pray. Jesus, would you do what only you can do here 
God, would you open up our hearts? Would you open up our minds, Father? Would we hear from you this morning clearly? Would you speak to us? Would you uh, allow us, those in this room that are blind, that are mute, Father, for maybe the first time, uh, be able to see the beauty of your kingdom and to be able to sing about the grace that you've shown us. Father, we love you. Speak to us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, the context of Luke is huge here. Um, So Luke, if you go all the way back to Luke 1, Luke is writing to this guy named Theopolis. Um, Way back we called Luke, uh, this guy just Theo. So he's writing to Theopolis or to Theo and saying, hey, here's what I'm writing for. I want you to have certainty in concerning what you have seen and heard. That I want you to be certain, 100% certain on the things that you have seen and the things that you have heard. So my prayer for us has been the same as Luke's, that I want us in this room to be 100% certain of the things that we have seen and the things that we have heard. So as we move forward, as we start to try to wrestle around this statement, who is not for me is against me. I just want you to be 100% certain on where it is that you stand. Because the, the trick of all this is, is Satan himself. Um, that do you think that if we had this huge sign in front of us that said, God's way, Satan's way, you choose, how many of us would actually walk down that path? I mean, you take Adam and Eve, go back all the way to the beginning. Adam is, is sitting there by the tree. Eve is with him, and the snake comes up, right? Surely, Jesus, surely God didn't actually mean that. The snake is cunning in his deceit. So what we have to really understand and wrestle with is it's not going to be that wide open. It's not going to be crystal clear that we maybe have been following the path. Maybe Satan has actually deceived us for our whole life. Maybe we don't understand the power of the gospel. Maybe for some of us in this room, we're not actually for him. We're against him and we had no idea. And I'm not trying to manipulate. I'm I'm trying to open your eyes to the spiritual warfare that is real that it's not as black and white as we want to say it is, that Satan is cunning, that he is deceitful, and he might have some of us. He might have some of us. There's a saying by Oswald Chambers Chambers that goes like this. Neutrality in religion is always cowardice. Neutrality in religion is always cowardice. And here's what what Chambers is trying to go, and, and here's what I'm trying to lay before us. Based on Jesus saying, there's no neutrality allowed. If you're not for me, you're against me. Does there sound like there's a happy medium in there? Does it sound like, oh, I can be kind of lukewarm. I can just chill out for a little while. If you're not for me, you're against me. And and there's, there's no middle ground. There's no neutrality. Here's what I know. Here's Here's what I perceive. When I was praying about this last night, even this morning, and I, and I scribbled it when I was getting dressed this morning, I have a uh, dry erase marker. I wrote it on the mirror this morning. There's some of you right now that already know you're playing the game. That I don't have to preach a sermon. I don't have to say anything. That just by Jesus' words alone, you're either for me or you're against me. There's some of you in this room right now that understand that principle. 
You know how to play the game. You know when to raise your hand. You know when to sing along. You know how to react. You know, man, would you just be praying for me for this? I'm just having a heart. You know how to walk through this. But you're not actually for God at all. That you're doing it because you're supposed to, because that's the way you were raised, that this is what good people do. But are you actually for Him? Is, is your life, have you counted the cost of following Jesus? Or did you just say some prayer when you were six and think that everything was going to be better? Are you actually for him? So this is, this is what I'm trying to wrestle out. I have to ask and press and poke hard this morning so that we can understand the certainty of this question. Are you for him or are you against him? Because being against him does not look like, now we, we can all go to um, Atlanta, we can all go to big cities, we can go around. We know who the atheists are, we know who the agnostics are. There are people that are crazy vocal about being against God. There is no God and I hate him, Right? We've probably interacted with those people. So, yes, very much so against him. But within a church setting like that, it's a little bit more complicated. It's a little bit more deceiving because there's some of us that are just playing the part, doing what we think we're supposed to do. And Satan has actually been lying to us this whole time, and we're actually against him and don't realize it. And this is why it's been so crippling for me to write this sermon. So we're going to look at a couple, you know, big picture things that, that Christianity would understand, that we would be familiar with. And I'm going to try just to outline, um, here's what those who marvel, you remember at the beginning, there's two people, the ones that had their jaws dropped marveling at what Jesus did. And then there's the, yeah, butters that are complaining, that are talking, that are doubting, that are questioning. And so I'm just going to look at a couple different things this morning and try to figure out what camp that we're on. Uh, because here's, here's the first one, uh, Sin. We're all probably familiar with what sin is, right? Doing things that separate us from God, but, but is it more complicated than that? Um, Colossians 3, 1 through 5 says this. If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things from above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your mind on things that are above, not things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Here's, here's the big part, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death that which is earthly within you. That which is sinful within you. Put to death. So those who marvel, those who understand the gravity, those who are fully for God, understand this principle. We're supposed to put... To death. One of my favorite pastors illustrates this point this way. Uh, have you guys ever seen that show when animals attack? Y'all seen that? Okay. If you haven't, here's what takes place. Um, these people will adopt lions or tigers or bears. There we go. Make sure you're with me. Uh, seriously, they'll bring them into their home. They'll raise them as pets. They'll take care of them, feed them bottles, all this kind of stuff. And then you fast forward eight to ten years later, the tiger rips off the face of the owner and everyone's going, what happened? You have a tiger in your house. That's what happened. You have an apex predator that weighs three, four times as much as you do that's raised, has teeth and claws to murder and you were sleeping with it. 
But see, that's how a lot of us operate and treat sin. At the beginning, oh, it's cute. It's not that big of a deal. Yeah, I know. Like, I probably shouldn't do this, but like, it's not a big deal. But you let that into your life, and then slowly, year after year after year, that sin is going to destroy you, and that sin is going to kill you. So are we putting to death? So those that marvel, those that are truly for God can recognize sin for what it is, even though it's good and right and fun and enjoyable and all of that, we see sin for what it is and we put it to death. But the yeah butters go, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm for God. Like I go to church, but this really isn't that bad, right? Like this really isn't that big of a deal. Like, yeah, I know, blah, 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 but like, but I can, I can control this. I can handle this situation on my own. Those who marvel versus the yeah, butters. Um, John Piper, when he was preaching through Hebrews, um, Hebrews 12, 1, really kind of outlines this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and run the race with endurance that is set before us. And Piper comments and says, do you, do you notice there's two words there? Let us lay aside every weight and sin every weight, so not just what is sinful, but every weight as well. Here's the question the yeah butters love to ask. Is this really a sin? Is this really like, what's, what's wrong with this? Is this really a sin? But those who marvel are asking the question, does it help me run after God? Am I more concerned about my comfort and what I want, or am I more concerned about my pursuit of running after Jesus with everything I have because I'm for him? So if we wrestle with these questions, these ideas, is it really a sin? I know it is, but it's not that big of a deal. There are few people in my life that I care about their opinion more than anyone else's. So much so that I I sometimes have a hard time even asking them and being afraid of what they're going to say. Because it might cost me something. Because my idea, my plan might go to the wayside when I hear their wisdom. If we're actually for God, we're okay with that conversation. We're not asking, is it a sin? Can I get away with it? We're bringing it before the Father and going, man, I'm for you. Is this okay? I'm not against you, I'm I'm for you. But you can start to see the muddiness, the confusion that Satan stirs up. Because I'm not acting in full rebellion, pastor. I'm still sitting here right now. What does it matter if I do this or that or this or that? And I would just point to you, because who's leading you to that? If you were to take that motive, the thing that doesn't seem that big of a deal, and you were to yeah, but it all the way down to the bottom, my kids do this all the time. It drives me crazy. Why, Dad? Why, Dad? Why, Dad? Go to your room. Don't ask me why again. But if we're, why do I want this? Why do I want this? Why do I want to do this? All the way down to the bottom. Does it take you to God or does it take you to yourself? And that will relieve, that will tell you if you're for God, if you're against Him. Remember, there's no middle ground. There's no neutrality here. Either for Him or you're against Him. That's not my words, that's his. So maybe not sin, let's talk about good works, right? Like, aren't Christians supposed to do really good things? Um, Ephesians 2 says this, Ephesians 2.10. 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That we as Christians are created for good works. So what you do, the good things that you do, those that marvel are always going to say, and it's not just words, it's, it's act and it's truth. I mean, there, there's nothing, I know who I am. There's nothing good in me. There's nothing right about me. All that you see that is good is from God. That he, he created these good works for me before I was even um, a Christian. He's orchestrated these good works for me to walk into. But the Yabutters are going to be a little bit more selfish than that. If we do good work for the kingdom, we're going to want attention. We're going to want affirmation. We're going to want, man, look at that guy. Look how good he is. He's so good. Look at the good works. And, and when people don't feed that, when people don't encourage you in that, when they don't light that fire underneath you, you start to get frustrated because your good works are actually for you and your affirmation, not for God. Am I saying encouragement's bad? No, by no means. But I'm asking you, when you proceed in good works, what is the motive behind that? If you, again, if you were to why that thing to death, why are you doing that which is good? Whose approval are you seeking after? Is it really God's or is it man? And if it's man, then we've got to start to wrestle, why is that? Am I actually for him or am I against him? We could do this all day long. We could take pillars of Christianity. I mean, we could take prayer, for example. Why is it that you pray? Why is it that we lay before God? We talked last week a ton about prayer, and I just asked, just charge, hey, we don't have to pray 30 minutes a day. Here's my challenge. Just pray one minute a day for this week. Just, just one minute. Just start somewhere. What is our motivation behind our prayers? Do we truly want what God wants, or are we just telling him what we need? I'm fascinated. I just don't, honestly, my mind doesn't comprehend. Jesus in the garden, hours before his crucifixion, minutes before his arrest, and he's saying, God, if there's any other way, do it. If there's any other way, but let your will be done. Whatever you want, because I'm, I'm for you. Whatever you want, I, I'm going to do. I'm going to pray and petition that you would do this another way, that I don't actually have to die, that I don't have to be beaten on a cross. But if there's no other way, let your will be done. Christ is modeling for us what it actually looks like. Are you for him or are you against him? Not an outright rebellion, rebellion church. Are you against him in subtle, small ways? So when we pray, does our prayer life reflect someone that's actually for him? We honestly just want to know what he thinks. Or is it about us? Now I think there's probably a few different people, group of people in this room. Uh, there, there's probably just a handful of people in this room that say, no, 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 I, I've, I've tested, I've tried my motives, I've sought hard after what I'm trying to accomplish, and I'm 100% for God, there's no other way. And I'm not saying this in a boastful way. I, I'm just, I just am. There's probably a few in this room that are 100% for him. 
And there's probably a majority of us in this room that primarily we are for God, that we are not for ourselves, but there's still a few areas in our life that keep popping up and say, no, 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 that's for me and I gotta put that to death. There's still, God is growing us, he's stretching us. This term is sanctification, that he's making us more like him. And so what he's doing, he's bringing up different sins and watching how we react. And he's doing this and he's letting us wrestle through this so that we can understand where in our life we are truly for him and where we're still for ourselves and where we are against him. A lot of this looks like suffering. A lot of that looks like suffering. It's painful process that hurts tell me anything that we grow in that doesn't hurt so some of us we just need to recognize this suffering that we're going through this painful process that we're going through what God is doing because he's for us he's bringing up different sins he's bringing up different issues we're not for him we're actually against him because our motives are trying to do this thing on ourselves and he's showing us you can't do that anymore If you could do this on your own power, you would have figured it out by now. But you can't. Don't be against me. Be for me. Come to me. Let me help you rest in my sovereign grace. But the last group of people are those that are so embarrassed to admit that they're not actually for God at all that I've been walking, that I've been pretending. In our missional community, we're starting to tell our stories like most missional communities are. It's interesting to see that almost all the stories that have been shared so far, there's a season for almost all of us where we thought we were walking after God. We thought we were doing what was expected, but we weren't. It was for ourselves. We were doing this to make ourselves feel better because we thought we were supposed to. That was a good and right thing to do. And although the things that we were doing were seemingly right, it actually proved our heart that we were not for God, that we were for ourselves. Therefore, we were against him. And, and here's just the truth that I've, maybe it's just from the Lord he's just comforted me with. I don't have to convince you of that in this room. If that's you, I don't have to convince you of this. You are fully aware of it this morning. What I have to convince you of, what I have to encourage you, what I have to coach you through doesn't matter your past, doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, who you supposedly are. It's okay to open up and admit, hey, like I've been living this double life for years. One of the big pillars for us as a church is we are a gospel-centered community. And that community means a lot. It weighs heavy on us. It means we don't have to pretend. We don't have to um, act. We don't have to joke around. We can be serious with one another. We can have real, genuine conversations. Uh, we, my wife and I were at dinner last night with some new friends. and So they were just asking about the church and what we do and why we do it. And here's one of my first responses. I long to see a church where we didn't have to fake it around one another. So if, if you're here... And if you know in your soul that you're not truly for God, but you're scared out of your bones of what it would look like to actually own up to that, I'm saying, please, for the love, know that this is a safe place to do that. Know that there's a lot of us in this room that have already experienced that. And here's what we need to know. Here's what we need to experience. And this is Romans 8, 31 through 35. If you have your Bibles, I just want you to flip to this so that we can see this truth. Romans 8, 31 through 35. 
We can't miss this. So Jesus presses in. If you're not for me, you're against me, and there's, there's no middle ground. But here's why. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Now, uh, I'll, on your own time, read the rest because I've just got to explain this real quick. If God is for us, then who can be against us? So when Jesus comes up and says, if you're not for me, you're against me. This is not some legalistic, come earn this thing, come do all these right things. He's going, no, no, no. I am here. I have come to, from heaven down to earth because I'm for you. That I am first for you. We can never miss this about the gospel. The gospel is always first. Jesus pursues us. God pursues us. God comes after us. Christianity, the gospel is never, I need to clean myself up to come in front of his presence. He always and will always come pursue us. God is for us. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Jesus is reiterating this for us in Luke. There's no middle ground. You're either for me or you're against me. And the only way you're going to be for me is if you first understand that I'm for you. That you don't have to pretend, that you don't have to act, that you don't have to play. I am for you. I am crazy in love with you right now where you stand. Quit pretending. Quit playing the game. And come to me because I'm for you and I have pursued you. And what makes us uncomfortable about this is because we've never known a love like this. We've never known in love that we can walk into a relationship fully broken, fully ashamed, and fully aware of all of our sin, and there's no condemnation for us in that relationship. I mean, you do it with any of your friendships, uh, any of your marriages, any of your relationships with your parents. You come in, you drop the hardest news, and there's going to be a little bit of shame in that conversation. But the beauty of the gospel, and I'm not asking you to be for him out of your own duty because you feel like you should, because that would actually prove that you're against him. What I'm trying to argue and what Jesus is arguing, if we're for him, it's because we first realize that he's for us. We can't miss that point. That is the beauty of the gospel. That is why we submit. That is why we are fully for him, because out of love, out of mercy, out of grace, he is for us. That is the gospel. That he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we can become the righteousness of God. So that he came and he picked up that cross for us. He did everything. He initiated everything for us. So that we can live for him. You're either for him or you're against him, but there's no middle ground. And chances are, if you're against him, if there's some deceit going on in your heart from Satan, it's because you don't understand the truth of the gospel, that he is for you, no matter what. So you're telling me, Pastor, I can bring all my shame before him? Yes. All my guilt, all my doubts, all, everything, lay it before him. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is for us. That he is for us. So, church, who are you? Where do we stand in this process? What does it look like to start over? Even if you've been in church your entire life, are you actually for him or has Satan deceived you and you're against him?
That is a question you have to wrestle with. That is a question we wrestle with. There's a reason that Scripture says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What is your motive for salvation? Do you understand the weight and the severity of it? Are you for him or are you for yourself? And the motive of yourself is going to start to rail against you. Church is going to disappoint you. Christianity is going to let you down because the motive of your heart is not Christ, it's yourself. So are you for him because he's first for us? Now, how do we understand, how do we remember that Christ is for us? Um, We take communion. So when we go to this bread and this juice in a second, we rip the bread, which is his body, remembering he's for us. We dip it in the juice, which represents his blood, remembering that he's for us. And we wrestle and we sit and we ponder, am I really for him or am I against him? And here's my encouragement. If you're wrestling, don't get up and take communion because everyone else is. Don't feel like you have to just because that's what church people do. Because you're carrying on that perpetual, I'm just doing this because I'm supposed to. You're being a yeah, butter. You're not actually submitting. You're not actually for him. You're just going through the motions. So communion this morning can be a time for you just to sit and say, I'm not going to take it because I'm going to wrestle with this. And if you're not a believer yet, we're so grateful that you're here. and We want you to know the good news of the gospel. But communion just wouldn't make sense for us because you don't understand yet what we're talking about. That Christ coming alive in your heart, and we see that through the bread and the juice, just, just doesn't make sense. So we just ask to sit and consider and to ponder One of the craziest, most encouraging stories I think I've ever heard uh, was a pastor who'd been a pastor for 20, 30 years. You know who's right next to a pastor? Pastor's wife. 20, 30 years into his ministry, into the pastorate, she's sitting there at the front row like a good pastor's wife would. As her husband's preaching, she's going, I don't know the gospel. I don't know Jesus. I've just been going through the motions for all these years. Can you imagine the pastor's wife feeling that? What is this going to do to the reputation of my husband? What is this going to do to the church? What is this going to do to me? And she said, no, no, if I'm for God, then I don't care about any of that. I'm for him. So she gets up and grabs the pastor's hand, which also happens to be her husband. And the next week he baptizes her. If you're for him, you're not worried about your reputation. If you're against him, you are. So as we pray and go into communion, would we just wrestle? Am I actually for him with everything that I have or am I against him? Am I for him or am I against him? And if you want to pray, if you want to talk, if you want to discuss, uh, I'll be at one communion table. Jeremy, one of our elders, will be at another communion table. Um, The other elders can just kind of break up. This is the morning for some of us to proclaim, I've been going through the motions, and I didn't realize that there was no neutral ground, that I'm actually against him. So this morning I'm proclaiming that I'm for him. 
So if you want to talk, if you need prayer, we'll be standing next to a communion. If, if you need to sit and wander and, and, and talk to God for a while, please do it. And after communion, we'll dive back into worship, proclaiming that he is first for us. So let's pray. And Father, thank you for your heavy words in Luke. I thank you that you, you didn't leave it up to our imagination. That we have Luke so that we can be certain of the things said about you. So Jesus, my, my heart is for those in this room this morning that have just been playing the part because they felt like they were supposed to because they had to, but they don't, they're not actually for you. They're for themselves. They're just going through the motions because they feel like they should because they want to look and act right, but their heart has not been regenerated, that they're not actually for you. God, that they are neutral to the things of you, and, and Scripture tells us that that is just not possible that we can be not be neutral. If we are that blind man, if we are that mute man, when we see you, we can't not see you. And we understand what you've done for us, we can't help but to speak about it. For the others in this room, maybe we're the ones that the Lord just keeps bringing issues, even right now, to your soul and to your heart. Senator, are you really for me here? And that process hurts. But God is for us. He's doing it for our joy, not for our happiness, for our joy. So church, let us wrestle this morning. Are we for him or are we against him? Not in a crazy, opposing way, but the subtleness of our hearts, the quietness of our actions, the, the motivation behind what we do. Is it for Him or is it for us? So Jesus, as we come to take communion this morning, we are so humbled by the fact that you are for us. All the way to death on the cross, for us, that you've done everything for us. All we have to do is confess that you are Lord. We're going to follow you for the rest of our life. You're for us. Why? I have no idea, Father. But thank you so much for loving us. It's in your name that we pray, amen.